people in our places with bright, shining faces. Brother Dees, that was tremendous. That was a, a classic. Of course, Brother Dees is a, a tremendous man. I always enjoy being hooked up with him in meetings like this. We're going to talk about respect and authority and um, maybe interact a little bit here this morning. I've enjoyed immensely sharing a couple of days with you young men, and I know that God has some great things in store for all of you. These are tremendous days to be involved and to think, as I told you yesterday, that God trusted you for this generation. He didn't trust me or Brother Dees. We're on the western slope. If Jesus tarries, you're going to have a baton in a few years. And God has trusted you. What a stewardship. What did God see in you guys that he didn't see in me and Brother Dees? Some of you sitting right here, if Jesus tarries, will in all probability cross the finish line with this truth. And what we're talking about this morning, respect and authority, is so basic. God has given you, as Brother D so ably introduced this morning, authority over your own will, over your own body. Let me give you a little advice before I ever get started. Don't ever loan the devil your body, not for one night, because he won't give it back to you. You'll have to fight with him to get it back. So if you don't ever give it to him, you won't have to fight with him to get it back. And it's a lot easier to keep something than it is to give it away and then try to get it back. Everybody say, oh, me. <laughs> but that is the truth. Let's talk about this thing, uh, authority and respect. Whenever my son, who was very strong-willed and still is, Brother Jesus knows nothing about rearing strong-willed sons. But uh, when he was about 8, 10, 11, we had in our front yard a magnolia tree that was 35 feet high. And uh, to be that large, it had to be somewhere between 50 and 75 years old because they grow very slowly. It had limbs on it from the top all the way to the bottom. It was a beautiful, beautiful tree. I mean, all the way to the ground. To climb that particular tree was a no-no because if you had fallen, it wouldn't just be you'd hit the ground. You would hit many limbs in between. So uh, I know all, all boys climb trees, but that one was a no-no. Don't climb that tree. Well, one afternoon I came in unawares. You know, the Bible says certain men crept in unawares. And nobody was looking for me, and I just wheeled in the driveway. And as I wheeled in the driveway, I glanced up to that tree. And guess what I saw in the very top of that tree? My son. So I just got out of the car and stood by it. I didn't say a word, and he saw me. So he began to carefully work his way down, you know, proving to me as he came down that it could be done. 
And uh, he came before the judgment bar. Because I did believe in applying pressure to the appropriate portion of the anatomy. <laughs> and if you have any trouble understanding that, ask Brother Dee what I mean. But uh, uh, nevertheless, this time I did, and I said, come in the house. I came in the house, and I wrote something down. And I said, you go to your room, and don't come out of your room till you've memorized that. So uh, he took it, went to the room, and I don't know, he was there a while, and he came back down. I said, have you memorized it? He said, yes, sir. I said, quote it to me. And here's what it was. If I do not respect my father and his authority, I will not respect my teachers, the policemen, and eventually God himself. And to this day, and he's 31 years old, I could start that, and he could stand anywhere in the audience and finish it. If I do not respect my father and his authority, I will not respect my teachers, the policemen, and eventually God himself. Respect and authority is basic. And I teach fathers that you can't demand authority. You know, you don't, don't get up and say, I'm boss around here. Authority and respect are earned and merited. And you, gentlemen, because you're, you're not boys, you're young men, you need to learn that. That as you get older, and as you marry, and someday you'll marry, and you'll find out that it's not who rules the roost, it's who rules the rooster. But uh, you, you'll come to understand the principles that go along with respect and authority. And you will reap what you sow. And even now, if... Possibly there's been times you've been frustrated and not understood authority if you have respected it. Well, Brother Tenney, he was wrong. That's not the important thing, who's wrong or right. The important thing is how you react to it. Learning the basics of respect and authority now and planting those seeds, they'll come up somewhere down the road. And this lesson is so vital. So vital till Jesus dealt with it. Let me tell you what he said in the uh, eighth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus had an encounter with a centurion, and a centurion was a Roman soldier, a ranking officer who had under him 100 men. In verse 5, when he entered Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus said unto him, I'll come heal him. Now notice this. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed, for I am a man... Now notice this, under having soldiers, I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servants, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, 
Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great, great faith, no, not in all of Israel. Now look, what has great faith got to do with authority? Only twice did Jesus use the term great faith. And both times it was to Gentile outsiders, to the Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile, and to this soldier who was a Gentile. He said, you got great faith. You picked up something that the children of Abraham, who are supposed to be covenant children, haven't learned yet. And he tied great faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. He tied great faith to this man's concept of authority. He tied doing great things for the Lord because without faith, you can do nothing. Consecration, dedication will enhance your relationship with God and it'll cause you to be saved. But fashion your seatbelts, consecration and dedication is not what moves God. Only faith moves God. So whatever I have to learn to tie me in and to plug me into faith, I want to know it. Now, notice what this centurion said. He said, I've got a servant to tell. Jesus said, fine. I'll come heal him. He said, wait a minute, Lord. All you need to do is to speak the word. The word only. For I am a man under authority. And he said, I say to this man, go, and he goeth to this man, come, and he cometh to the servant, do this, and he does it. What does that term under authority really mean? Now this centurion may have been, uh, let me speculate a little bit, he may have been five foot four and weighed 115 pounds. And he could have men under him who were six foot six and weighed 200 and plenty, like me. But here's this little Weasley fella looking up at this big giant of a buck private and saying, you go. And this great big fella looking down at him, yes, sir. And there he goes. And all this big fella would have had to done was and he'd have been like a piece of green grass. He'd have withered in the wind. Well, why is it that these 100 soldiers would let this little Weasley runt boss them around? I'll tell you why. Because as long as he was connected with Rome, all of the authority of Rome stood behind him and his size didn't make any difference. He was under authority. And because he was under authority, he had authority. Because the Roman Senate ruled Rome and what they said went. And above him he had a general. And above that general somewhere there was a proconsul, and above him there was a governor, and the governor was tied to Caesar, who was the emperor. And there was a chain of command, and all of the power of Rome eventually came down to one little Weasley centurion. 
And he had authority because he learned how to be under authority. You see what I'm talking about? We have authority as long as we're under authority. We have respect as long as we practice the rules of respect. Mm, I want you to get that. You've got to understand that anybody that's going to plug in to authority has got to recognize a chain of command and be willing to be under authority. The reason my finger works is because it's under the authority of my hand. And the reason my hand works is it's under the authority of my forearm. And the only reason my forearm works is it's under the authority of what? My elbow. And the only reason my upper arm works is it's under the authority of what? My shoulder. And the only reason my shoulder works is it's under the authority of my head. And my head tells my shoulder, and my shoulder tells this joint, and this joint tells this joint, and this one tells man. Finally, it gets down to this little finger. But this whole thing wouldn't work. Now, this finger says, boy, I'm something. Hey, finger, you don't have any authority that's not given you. And the hand says, boy, I'm saying, no, no, but I've got the finger under my authority. But hand just keep moving up. You couldn't even wiggle if it wasn't for a wrist. So that's the concept of God, that we're fitly joined together. And all of us are under authority. So if you are going to have any authority in life, if you're going to do anything in life that amounts to a hill of frostbitten, Kentucky Wonder Beans, you're going to have to learn how to be under authority. And it is not always whether you agree with what is said or not. Now, there, there is a, a scriptural violation to this principle. For instance, they told Peter to do something one time. He said, I can't do it. Why aren't you going to do it? It's better to obey God than man. Now, if somebody tells you to disobey the laws of God, But don't ever use that as a cop-out. Somebody said, I'm being persecuted. The only thing you're persecuted for and, and logically can accept it scripturally is for righteousness' sake. If it's just some of your own meanness, it's not persecution. You know, if you violate the basic uh, elements of kindness and decency uh, to your fellow man and, and you get into a brawl, well, you can't say, well, they're just picking on me because I'm Pentecost. When you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, then you can be under the authority of God. If I had to sum up this Bible in one word, if somebody said, T.F., I want you to sum up the Bible in one word, that one word would be submission. Submission. Being able to submit. We talk about doing the will of God, and that's a beautiful thing. You know what the will of God is? To do the will of God oftentimes causes a cross factor in my will. And you know what a cross is? A cross is 
But somebody said, well, a cross uh, is, I can't, you know, I can't go to the movies. Uh, uh, that's not a cross. A, a cross is, I can't drink. Well, what do you mean you can't drink? You get cirrhosis of the liver if you do. That's no cross. Well, I can't smoke. So what? You won't get lung cancer. Big deal, you know. But a cross is when you honestly, in your will, want to do something. And the will of God, and you know it, is another way, and it crosses your will. And you choose to do the will of God. And that's a cross. Deliberately, above what you want to do, what your own volition calls for, your own will calls for, you say, I choose to do the will of God. And then you do it. That's a cross. You know, fellas, we talk a lot about bearing our cross, and I, I've heard preachers preach, I want to be crucified with Christ, and that's a beautiful allegory. I want to be crucified with Christ. But it's impossible for you to crucify yourself. You know, well, I guess I'm just going to crucify myself and not do this. You can't crucify yourself. What do you mean, Brother Timmy? Okay, go get you a cross out there and lay down on it, you know, stretch out like this. Okay, get you a nail and put it in this hand. Now, what you going to drive the nail with? You can't hold the nail with one hand. You don't have a two hands unless you're free. So it is impossible for you to crucify yourself. So you know what the Lord does? Sometimes he'll send along our best friend to do the job. Because we said we wanted to live a crucified life. Let me tell you something about this flesh. Hey, take your finger and say flesh. Come on, flesh. 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 We're so good to it. When this flesh gets uh, uh, too cold, we get in a place that will warm it up. When this flesh gets too warm, we get in an air conditioning bill and cool it down. We pamper it. We cut its hair just right, lady style. Hang clothes on it, make it look better. We're so good. Feed it. We are so good to this flesh, but do you know what this flesh will do to you if you let it? It'll take you straight to hell. As good as you are to it. That's why the apostle said, put no confidence in the flesh. To fulfill the lust thereof. This flesh does not want to come under subjection. This flesh wants its own free will. Something happened to man in the garden, and we got our business so messed up, and uh, it, uh, it, it wants something. And it's always looking for a way out. You have to be careful. You know, put no confidence in it. I, I heard uh, years ago about a fellow that... Uh, Back in the days before telephones were prominent, his wife went to another city to shop. She went on a train, went to another city to shop. When she got there, she found a fur coat. And in those days, it was $500, and that was a ton of money. And she wired him back. Found fur coat, $500, may I buy it? And he never left the... He never left the telegraph office. He just went back and told the man, send her this message. 
No, price too high. So the telegraph operator did send the message and she got it, but he omitted one little punctuation mark. After the no, he didn't put a comma. And when she got the telegram, she read it like this, no price too high. So she went and paid $3,000 for one. You got to be careful. You got to read the fine print of life. Put no confidence in the flesh. No price too high. And you know, she could come back and say, but you said no price too high. There's always folks that, that read the Word of God like they're, they're a tax form looking for a loophole. You know what tax accountants do? They spend most of their time not looking at the law but looking for loopholes. And we got too many contra IRA agents in Pentecost, and all they ever look for is the loopholes. My uh, sister, one time, she's not Pentecostal, and uh, she was she's older than I am. And I was talking to her about smoking. She used to smoke. She she quit, but she she said, "Well, Jesus said it's not what goes in that defiles; it's what comes out, justifying smoking." Now, you know what she was looking for? A loophole. Because she didn't want to come under the authority of the Word of God. I said, well, that's good. I'll take that. I said, you go ahead and suck all that smoke in, but just don't ever puff it out. I said, let's just say that it won't defile you going in, but it will coming out. She said, well, that's stupid. I said, that's no more stupid than your interpretation of that scripture. But people look for loopholes, you know, to try to get around the authority of the Word of God. Gentlemen, respect this book. Respect its authority. Respect God's chain of, of command. And when you come under authority, then God can elevate you. God likes to bless where his reputation is safe. And if he sees his reputation for authority and respect is safe with you at this age, you'll be advanced in the kingdom. But it all goes back. And, and, and there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to come to you in life. But God's got a plan for you. One of you got a Bible there? Jason, turn to the, to the 29th the chapter of Jeremiah. I want to show you something. Because you're going to have a lot of changes in life and, and a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunities to try to slip out from under a thought. You know, sometimes fellas say the, the preacher said, well, he's just an old fogey. He just put that to keep me from having a good time. I had rather meet a fence at the top of a cliff than to meet an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And some people don't like the fences. David said the lines, L-I-N-E-S, have fallen to me in pleasant places. You need to learn to respect the lines and say they're pleasant. Well, Brother Tenney, they keep me boxed in. No, they don't. They keep the devil out. Learn to respect fences. Learn to respect landmarks. Learn to respect perimeters that are drawn, that you, you can go so far but don't go any further. Well, that's legalism. No, it's not. That's good sense. You know, truth is truth. Two times two is four. I don't care how many people say it's five. And you ne never need to apologize for the truth. 
And there is nothing in the world that this gospel would want you to quote unquote give up that you need anyhow. Tell me one thing that the gospel requires of you as far as coming under its authority and certain things you can't do that you need. I don't need any cigarettes. I don't need any alcohol. Free sex? What are you talking about? AIDS is now costing nearly a billion dollars a year. Is that free? Now, Brother Tenney, you believe AIDS is the judgments of God? If it's not, it's the gift of sin. And now a lot of innocent people are, 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 are being affected. So, you know, we, no loose sex. Boy, isn't that terrible that we can't, hey, you better be thanking your God. Because that virus can lay for as long as eight or ten years dormant. You know, you can, you can do it and think you got away with it. I read that yesterday. That it can lay from eight to ten years dormant before it comes up. Be glad that you've been taught purity. That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And, and the old book, 2,000 years ago when it said, don't join yourself to a harlot. It's not good for your temple. Did you know Paul taught that? That it wasn't good for your temple? Go back in Corinthians and read that, to join yourself to a harlot. And, and they didn't know nothing about AIDS and very little about venereal disease in those days. But the book is right. To come under the authority of the word is healthy. Praise God. Very healthy. Read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, Jason. What does it say there? I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Peace and not of evil. And expected what? And. Now let me give you a loose translation of that that I think you can identify with. Another translation. I have a plan for your life. And it is a plan for good and not evil. A plan to give you a future with hope. God Almighty, and I'm telling you fellas this morning, God has a plan for your life. And it's a plan of good in an evil society. God's got a plan of good, and it's going to give you a future with hope. Hallelujah. Now, the, the world is going to pass away, John said, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abideth forever. One translation says, he that does God's will becomes a part of the permanent and not the passing. Everything you see is going to pass away, but if you're plugged into the authority of God, you're a part of the permanent. But learning to, to take the changes of life and not let it affect your authority structure, respecting your God, respecting your church, respecting your pastor, respecting your father and your mother and their authority, respecting even the authority of government, uh, Paul taught us to be in subject to the magistrates. You know, our, 
convictions ought to be the same whether we're facing a person or a machine. God has unique ways of testing us to see what kind of character we are. We had some fellows at one of the universities in Louisiana that caught on to a cute little trick. In the bank of the telephones there at the university, they could uh, call and get long distance. And when the operator told them that would be $2.50, they could put that phone on the next phone next to it and drop the money in and she would hear the jingle because they tell me the operators tell by the tone as to what money you put in. And then they'd hang up the second phone and get their money back. And the operator thought they'd put it in. Well, they thought that was cute. But I, nobody, none of those boys would have walked up to a man and stuck a knife in his back and said, give me $2. Or I'm going to stab you. I'm going to rob you. But who ever heard of coming under the authority of the rules of a phone system? I was in a, a house one day and a lady uh, told uh, her husband, said, now when you get there, he was going out of town, said, call back here, collect for you, and I'll know you've made it. And they were good friends when he left. I said, uh, do you think that's exactly right? I said, you wouldn't steal $4 from the phone company. I said, that's a little bit deceptive. And that's been several years ago, and she saw me here a while back. She said, you know, you fixed me so that day till I've never been able to do that again. I said, every time I start to do it, I think about what you said about being honest with a machine just like we were honest with one another. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but learning to respect authority at every level, governmental authority, the authority in home, the authority in the church, God looks at that and, and promotion comes. Now, there are ranks in God, and when he sees that he can trust somebody and that they are honest to the core And there's going to be changes that come in life. You better believe it. Uh, you know how some people face a change in life when their the authority structure is challenged. They don't know what to do. They grope. G-R-O-P-E. They just, you know, well, God, what am I going to do? I guess I'm not going to do anything. And so after they grope a while, they mope. You ever see anybody mope? And then after they mope a while, if they can't handle it, this generation, they'll dope. But God doesn't mean for you to grope, mope, or dope. You know what he means for you to do? Cope. C-O-P-E. There's just some things in life you've got to be tough enough to take until you learn your lesson or whatever God's trying to teach you. The authority structure at times have to, has to be unquestioned, even if you don't understand it. Look what happened to Job. He feared God, hated evil, was a perfect 
He said, I don't understand it, but the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they said, well, his so-called six and finally seven best friends came and sat in a semicircle around him. And, and for seven days, they didn't say anything. They just looked at him. Boy, that make me feel like a butterfly pinned to the wall. A bunch of goozles just come and look at me and stare. That bothers me worse than anything in the world. I don't like anybody to stare at me. If you want to say something, say it. But there they were, seven of them staring at him. Four of them rather staring at him for, for seven days. Pardon me, there was three and then four, and they stared for seven days. But they was telling him what all they knew. They said, we know you're a hypocrite. We know you've got hidden sin. We know you failed God somewhere and God's judging you. And he didn't have that. Finally, he said, shut up. He said, I don't know what you're talking. He said, hold your peace. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where God is. I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't have any explanation. But he said, I know only one thing. I know my Redeemer liveth. Only when you're left with the knowledge of God alone do you understand that He is sufficient. And there will be times in life when you'll be reduced to nothing but your knowledge of God. I used to be a missionary director. I'd tell missionaries before they went overseas, they were so excited and thrilled and should have been. I said, there'll come a time when you'll be reduced and stripped of everything you've got except one thing. I said, probably within six months. You'll be stripped of everything but one thing, and that's your knowledge of the call of God. If you've got that knowledge, you'll make it. If you don't, you won't. The knowledge of the call of God. So, fellas, authority. You don't get it until you get under it. Authority to the government. Authority to the family. Authority to God, authority to the pastor, authority to the word. There's authority structures and respect for it. You know, not sullenly saying, you know, like the little boy that, that, that his mother couldn't do anything with him and finally told him to go stand or go sit in the corner and he went and stood and she went over and shoved him down and he stood and she shoved him down. She went in the next room and she called back. She was working. She said, Johnny, are you still sitting down? He said, yes, ma'am, but I'm standing up on the inside. So it's one thing to come under authority. It's another thing to respect it and to say, hey, maybe this is best for me. After all, maybe this is what I, I ought to do. Because submission is, is a mighty powerful thing. Mighty powerful thing. Uh, I find it so amazing that uh, people in, such as Pharaoh can become so hard in the presence of so much light because they cannot understand authority. Now, let me tell you something. You'll sit in a church, and, and please understand this. Hear this, underscore it. And I've seen it. Two young people are two people, period. And one of them are touched and molded and melted by the word and by the authority of the book. And others hardened. 
But then sun, the same rays of the sun that hardens clay will melt butter. It depends on how the product, product yields to the sun. And that's why two people can sit and, and one under the same ministry can get hard and I'm not going to yield and another can melt. It's the individual. Jeremiah was told to go down to the potter's house. He said, go down there and, and I'll, I'll show you something. And he went down, and the potter was working a work on a wheel. And I've seen the old ancient potters work. They still use a lot of the same methodology today as they did. Uh, put a, get a, a bunch of clay and, and, and roll it up into a, uh, a ball. And, and then they put it and they cut it up. And, and they take all the impurities out of it, the grass and the little pieces of gravel. And they roll it again and they cut it up. And... And they rolled it, finally they put it on this wheel, this wheel, and the wheel goes this way, and the hands of the potter go this way. Now that's life. You know, so many times it seems like we want to go this way, but the hands of the potter are pushing us the other way. And he would take his fingers and etch, and, and mold and put designs as that thing went around and around and around. Life can be so monotonous, so mundane, so ordinary, so regular. Life's not made up of exalted highs. You know what most of you are going to be? You're going to be a clod for God, consecrated plotters. Now, Brother Tenney, that's not true. It is. They that wait upon the Lord shall do what? Mount up with... They shall what? run they shall what now that's not the way we look at it we say you start walking you begin to run you end up flying God said no you fly you run but you end up walking most of your life's going to be consecrated plotting mundane circles go to church go to work be faithful love God worship and every now and then you'll get off on a flying trip and that'll be wonderful and you'll run a little. But most of life is ordinary. You're not going to be locked into an emotional high. Even if you get married, you're going to have to learn that. You know what the honeymoon is? That's a month of honey, then the situation gets sticky. So, uh, you know, m most of life will just be walking. The Paul's most famous metaphor for living for God in the book of Ephesians is walk. You're just walking with the Lord. It's not always running, sprinting, or, or soaring. A lot of it is just consecrated, plodding along, dedicated plotters that will just hang in there, round and around, on the wheel of life. I'm there. And the clay could resist. Ooh, no, I don't like that. I'm going to do it my way. It hurts for you to put your fingernail in me and etch your design on me. I was so comfortable when I was nothing. A lot of people are comfortable being nothing because they don't want to yield. Remember I said submission is, to the, is the bottom line. Submission. So finally, he would get it to where he wanted it to be. If he could, if he couldn't, the Bible said he'd take it off and he'd make it again. 
uh, Jeremiah said he saw him and he made it again. Uh, I'm glad to know the God of a second chance. Maybe you're not just, you didn't work right on the field second time. I'm glad he doesn't jerk us off, throw us away. He, he said, I'll try again. That's the kind of God. Oh, I want you to know this God of grace. You're looking at a preacher that believes in grace and mercy, and I believe it's the way of the transgressor that's hard. I refuse to live for God under a glob of gloom like God's a policeman. But I know a God of love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness, and I am enjoying Jesus. And anything that tries to interfere with my enjoyment of Jesus, I'm not going to have it. That's why I'm not what they call in theology a legalist. You're not going to cook me up to a bunch of man-made rules. Now, I'm not talking about good, godly, biblical standards. That's not what I'm talking about. But some people won't impose their prejudices upon somebody and call it holiness. But, and lay, constantly lay guilt trips on people. I, I, several years ago, I had a man that told me he was teaching that folks shouldn't wear red. He wouldn't let his women wear red. And I, I tired him about it. I said, why in God's world are you preaching that it's wrong to wear red? He said, because red is the color of the heart. I said, red is also the color of the blood of Jesus. I said, it just depends on what you've got your mind on. Brother Tim, you didn't tell him that. I did, and he pastors a church in my district, and he still loves me to this day. But that kind of tomfoolery, that was, you know, that went out with the Model T's. So, you know, a lot of times you can, you can impose things on people and, and bring them under a, a, a bondage. But this word and the, the, the legitimate standards taught by your pastor, to whom you should always submit even if you don't understand. I told my son one time he was going to do something. I said, now, son, I've been down that road before. He looked at me and he said, but, Dad, what you don't understand is they paved it since you were there. I said, I don't care. It's the same road. And oftentimes we don't understand, you know, we can't because, and, and elders will tell us something because they see something that's going to lead to something that's going to lead to something, and it's not what you're doing now. There are sins and there are weights, and they see that if you do this, their knowledge says it'll lead to this and that'll lead to that, and it might end up somewhere else. Well, Brother Tenney, they don't trust us. It's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of knowledge. I'd rather meet a fence at the top of a cliff than an ambulance at the bottom. Don't go down that road. Why? It's a dead-end street, and there's a cliff there, and you'll run off and break your fool neck. How do you know? Because I broke the limb on the last tree that was hanging there when I almost went over It's foolish for people to believe road signs. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Brother Tenney, I don't believe in these man-made rules. Let me tell you something, and then I'm going to get through here. What do you mean man-made rules? Every law of government is man-made. I mean, uh, uh, we got you got laws in the state of... Uh, of uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin about uh, how fast you can drive, where you can turn right and where you can't turn right, 
uh, stoplights, stop signs. Who made those laws? Men. Isn't it strange that people will respect the laws of men made by unregenerate sinners in a legislature and say, we got to obey that. And they will not listen to the rules and regulations of God-fearing, holy men. You see, fellas, let me be honest with you. And if there's anything we need, we need transparent honesty, absolute integrity, and authentic humility. I'm going to be transparently honest with you. I don't know of one scripture that says, Thou shalt not smoke Marlboros. Thou shalt not choose coals. But godly men years ago said, that's filthiness of the flesh. Well, Brother Tenney, men made those rules, but they made it on a principle. You see what I'm talking about? If we can obey the laws of the land made by unregenerate, ungodly men, and then we make fun of the rules, or whether I say regulations or standards, that are set up in the church, that's stupid. You're smarter than that. And godly men pray and fast and say, hey, church, I don't think we ought to go in this direction. So anyhow, back to the wheel. He finally takes it off. And I can hear the piece of clay, the pottery now as it speaks. Thank God that ordeal is over. He nearly killed me on the wheel. I am now ready. You know what he does? He goes to a big oven and he opens it up. And the a heat blasts out and, and hits the little piece of pottery. And that pottery says, Ah, don't put me in the fire. I thought you were through with me. You know what he does? Shoves it in the oven. Closes the door. And about the time you think God's through with you, he's just started. You know, Brother Teddy, the wheel, the monotony, you know, finally, you know, and, and the, 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 the tough etchings. And he let it bake for a while, and then he'd take it out. And the father said, thank God, now I'm ready. And you know what he does? He thumps it. Boing, boing, boing. It don't sound just right. He puts it back in the heat. God's going to let life thump on you. Then he takes it. Puts it on shelf to let it cure. Somebody comes in his shop and says, Oh, I want that one right up there. And he says, Yeah, me, I'm ready to go. And he says, No, that one's not cured yet. Leave it on the shelf a while. And you never lived until God shelves you for a while. When you think you were just ready, and about that time, he puts you on the shelf. And everybody else is going out and finding their place. And it just looks like somebody wants you. And, and the old shopkeeper says, no, not yet. But they'll come that day. When you're cured, he'll take you and put you in service. But you've got to learn to be under his authority on the wheel, in the fire, or on the shelf. I've never known of a great man of God that wasn't shelved. Did you know after God promised Joseph that he was going to be 
uh, have obeisance done to him like the stars and the wheat field that he shelved him for 13 years and let him cure. And I could go right on through the scriptures and show you other great men that had to wait and had to come under the authority and the discipline. Now, hey, fellas, look at this preacher. God has more to teach you from his denials than from his permissions. And he'll do it. Why, God? I don't know why. As I told you yesterday, he doesn't come down and explain himself to our vain minds. I don't understand the Ten Commandments. Well, there you remember this. There are Ten Commandments and not Ten Suggestions. And that's none of our cotton-picking business. That's God's business. Authority and respect for God, for the Word, for the church, for your pastor, for your parents, for the authority structures in your life, your family, and all begins with your family. I told you yesterday, three institutions, the home, government, and the church. And you've got to learn the authority structure in all of them, and you'll never have authority in the family, with men in your community or with God until you learn to be under authority. And you can always tell a great man by the way he treats a little man. And the size of a man is always determined by how much it takes to discourage him. And I've seen so many fellas that were wanting to go out in the woods somewhere and kill a bear, but they were too lazy to swat a fly off a sugar bowl in the kitchen. Sick them, fellas. Sick them. Praise God. You love the Lord? How many of you fellas love the Lord? How many of you are saved? You know Jesus. You really know him. Well, these are fine young men. The hand of God is on some of them in a special way. I feel it. Tell you what I want you fellas to do. I want us to gather around here at the front and uh, Brother Dees and I are going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you and ask God to give you the